Life is for the Living, a podcast where we talk to people in their late 60s and older about their lives, lessons they have learned, and any advice they might have. This is your host, Rebecca Richman. In our last episode, we met our guests, Vicki, Tim, Marsha, Al, and Dave, all members, ex-members, or attenders of the Las Cruces Quaker meeting. Today, we're going to start at the beginning and explore our guest's childhood. This episode does contain explicit language and descriptions of emotional abuse and threats of suicide, so if you would like to avoid those, please skip ahead to the next episode. Of the five guests, the two women, Vicky and Marcia, had pretty happy childhoods. Vicky was the only guest that grew up Quaker and had really fun memories of growing up in and around Denver. Well, it was kind of fun, I think. It was, <laughs> I have, I'm the, the youngest of three girls in a family, and my parents were both Quakers. Well, my mother wasn't, but she became a Quaker when they uh, started the, the Mountain View Friends meeting together. And I pretty much grew up in that that meeting, which, you know, that experience of having this kind of extended family and stuff of people in a in a Quaker meeting. And her mom worked part time. And my dad had a construction. He had a remodeling business. And so he was often around at home. If we got sick, he'd be the one who, who might be at home with us later on. when we were older. They didn't have a lot of money, but they still found ways to have fun. But we'd go camping in the summer. And so we'd go like every other weekend, we'd go up into the, the mountains at, up in Colorado. So I grew up outside of uh, Denver in the suburbs. One Christmas, Vicky's parents gave her a gift that probably wouldn't go down so well today. They gave me a printing press when I was a little kid. One of my sisters got a chemistry kit. I remember one Christmas and I got this this little printing press and it was a lot of work to just put all that type in and print one page. It was kind of, but it was fun. My sisters and I would play elaborate games with dolls and stuff and yeah so it was pretty good and and there was a, a group of kids in the neighborhood that would play too um and there was a group of kids at the Quaker meeting when we were when we were pretty young and then some of them moved away on the other hand Marcia grew up on the family farm I grew up on a farm in southwestern Minnesota um and with as one of six children in the family, which was pretty common then. And the first five of us were girls. My brother was the youngest. Um, my father being a farmer, uh, and farmers very often have to hire help. Well, dad decided the best thing with the oldest daughter was to hire his daughter. So that set a good example. We all grew up driving tractors, working for dad and um, earning some money to help us get started in college. And like Vicki, had really fond memories of childhood. Growing up on the farm was really, I think, kind of ideal I, in a big family. I think it, had I been a single and only child, some of my friends were or just a couple of kids, it wouldn't have been the same, but there was always somebody even though we were spread out, you know, my oldest sister, I think, is 10 years older than I am. And, and we were about two years apart. For those of you familiar with Laura Ingle Wilder's Little House series, 
Some of Marsha's childhood may seem familiar. The house that my parents, when they started on the farm, they were from Iowa and they moved up there in the 30s. Um, the farmhouse that they moved into was banked with straw bales. And when the two, my two oldest sisters were born when they lived in that house, um, at some point, the house caught fire and mother got the kids out. Dad was in town. He was working for a farm agency of something. And mother was furious with him because his first question was, did you get my new overcoat out? And he had to explain to her that the only reason he was concerned about the new overcoat was that it had the only $80 that they had in the pocket. And she had managed to get it out and he knew that they would need that to start. So they had to build a house immediately. Tim's childhood growing up in Santa Fe, New Mexico was a mix of good and bad. There were some parts of it, which is great. The civically, I did not know there was a 4th of July or 4th of July celebration. I had heard that uh, it's 4th of July, we set off firecrackers. But the big celebration, the big civic celebration, was the fiesta. And that was the best. And that, that's when the whole, whole town would go on party. And they'd be drinking and dancing in the streets. And there'd be a little um, merry-go-round and horseback rides and things in the plaza that were interesting, exciting, and fun to do. And the mayor would sing at night and um, there'd be, you know, dancing in the streets. It was just lovely. And also you could buy some of the <laughs> craziest food ever on the uh, the stands that were around the plaza. And that was just so much fun. That was a civic or civic experience. And that was when all the fireworks went off and they, they burned so so to them. And we'd light up the sky. Whereas the 4th of July, about four or five rockets would go up. So it never really got my attention until I was like in the eighth grade. And I had to sell popcorn at the 4th of July. Uh, and so so the fiesta was the best, bestest part of my life. Because it would always come at the end of the summer, just before the beginning of prison. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, grade school. And... Uh, it was such a great way to celebrate the end of summer where another crops would be in. We could just have fun. And so we did. But his parents were not Santa Fe natives and didn't understand or want to understand the culture of their city. Worse than that, they didn't seem to want to be parents. Tim describes his relationship with his parents as... Terrible. Uh, they didn't have children. My, my father just somehow managed to not have children. <clears throat> my mother had children up until we were like five. My sister was older than me. And um, after that, she just disappeared. And so we met, we all lived in, under the same roof and were never without food. Sometimes it wasn't a whole lot, but we just always had food. And we always had shelter and then never turned off the electricity. In short, they... Kept me alive. 
but did not pay attention to anything that I was doing. Um, pretty much there was some attention paid, but and when I graduated high school, nobody noticed. This neglect had a lifelong effect on Tim. I have been very alienated. Um, things like family and family connections is just foreign to me. And like, like Vicky will be talking about getting together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's all family, family. And I feel like I'm the, the fifth wheel. Like, what are we talking about? I, I, this is strange. So it's, it's been alienating. Dave also suffered lifelong effects from child abuse. He describes his childhood as... Pretty bad. Um, actually, I think my mother protected me from my father during the first uh, nine or so years. Oh, but after that, it was a problem because I was kept out of school. My mother was afraid that I was going to get sick. Uh, that was partly based on the fact that my sister died of crib death. I suspect it had something to do with my father smoking as incessantly as he did. My father was a payday drunk. He was a narcissist who was later diagnosed as being bipolar. And it kept me, I, my childhood was pretty much alone because I didn't go to school. I had a couple of friends when I was in my teens. But generally, I had to learn how to play by myself. And, and uh, that's what got me into being a natural historian and eventually a biologist because that was something I could do by myself, and my parents couldn't take part in it. My father never beat me or anything like that, and I was not a victim of sexual abuse, but I was definitely a victim of uh, verbal abuse and threats. My father always threatened that he was going to leave or commit suicide or uh, something like that and leave my mother and me basically without any way of living because my mother did my mother quit school when she was in her teens and and she just didn't have any skills and I certainly didn't until I was went to college for Dave education was the key to getting away well it took me an awfully long time actually I've talked with some people who worked with uh, uh, children who have stayed with their parents and it's very hard to get out of it once you uh, get into that particular thing, that you some, quite often wind up being like them. But for some reason or other, I didn't. I, don't, I can't really tell you how. And um, when I was get, given the chance to go to college, I saw that as a possible out. College led to a master's program, which in turn led to a PhD program, which is where he met Linda, my mother, and finally moved out of his parents' house at age 35. Al grew up about as far away from the rural farm life as you can in America. I grew up in New York City. And uh, my mother and father were a strange, strange couple. They were a strange couple. My, my mother is an immigrant. My mother was born in Italy, didn't come to the United States. She was 16. Um, Became a social worker, was working in New York, and at the age of 35, decided she wanted to have a family. She married Al's father, who was the son of a Jewish immigrant from Poland, but who had a very troubled relationship with both his father and with Judaism, particularly once he enrolled in Carnell. He's hobnobbing with the elite. 
uh, and rich Jewish kids, and but the elite prep school kids. And he, his family is living in a in a Jewish neighborhood. His father's an immigrant. His father doesn't speak English very well. He's a socialist. He's a traveling salesman. My father rejected his father. He rejected everything about his father. He rejected his religion, his politics, his name. My father rejected my father's his father's name. His name was Morris Goldstein, or his father's name was Charles Goldstein. My father's name was Morris Goldstein. He changed it. He didn't want to be Jewish. Nonetheless, for the first part of Al's life, things were pretty good. He lived in a nice neighborhood. He had a nanny. There were lots of books, a love of learning, and his parents were supportive of him. He spent his time playing ball, memorizing batting averages, and listening to sports on the radio. But around the age of 10, things started to fall apart. His mother decided to move the family to the suburbs over her husband's objections. And from there, things went from bad to worse. Very shortly, shortly after we moved up there, my three-year-old brother died. Three-year-old brother died of spinal meningitis. And um, that tore things up. But one of the biggest changes was Al's relationship to his father. But right around puberty, my father turned on me. He turned on me. And for the rest of the time that I knew him as an adolescent, he basically, his attitude towards me was I was a piece of shit. He just treated me with disdain. And, uh, you know, as I got older and I began to wonder about how, wh- why that happened, well, I, 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 I came to understand some things. Uh, one thing is he was jealous of me. His wife cared more about me than she did about him. I think that was true for for a while, but not after after my brother Andrew died. I don't think so. I think my mother that was really chastening for my mother. She realized that her children were going to leave, and her husband wasn't. But I think she cared more about me than she did about him, and he had a sense of that. And I was young; I had my life to live. He was he was quite old. He was a pretty angry man. He was sad. He had been he had a horrible relationship with his father. His father hated him. But understanding why his father treated Al this way didn't make it any less traumatic, and Al was deeply affected by it. Outwardly, he was still an extroverted kid, but inwardly he was struggling and occasionally acting out. Although Al maintained a relationship with his father as an adult, his father held on to his anger until the very end. My grandfather died at the age, in his 50s, and on his deathbed, the, word, the last words he said to my father was, I hate you, Murray, or Murray, I hate you. Those are the last words my father heard his father say to him. Well, the last words my father said to me were, what the fuck are you doing? I went to hug him because I was leaving. I was going to go to here. I, I was working in Houston that year. And I went to hug him. And he said, what the fuck are you doing? That was the last words he said to me. He died that weekend. And that's it for this episode of Life is for the Living. 
Join us in the next episode when we talk to our guests about love, children, and relationships. If you have any suggestions about future guests, topics, or just want to chat in general, you can reach us at, at lifeisforthel on Twitter or email us at lifeisforthelivingpodcast at gmail.com. Life is for the Living podcast is written by me, Rebecca Richman, and produced by Marco Borlo. Thanks for listening.